0: How many of you, if you are really honest with yourself, when you read the Great Commission, you think, ooh, this is for the fivefold ministry. Pastors, prophets, evangelists, especially evangelists, right? Teachers, how many of you think that? I have news for you. It's for every believer. Because every believer is a disciple. And every disciple has been called. Your specific place of where you need to go and who you need to reach and who you need to teach will differ, yes, from mine, absolutely, but you have to go. Go means movement, action. I'm gonna get it up on your personal business. If we do not do this, we are willfully only seeing it as the great suggestion. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. That was amazing. Who had a great time in God's presence? Come on. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed and so thankful that we get to do this. I I just, I stand in awe of God's goodness. I keep telling people the testimony that, when God called me to plant a church, I gave him all the reasons and excuses why I should not plant a church. And when, when he answered all of those things and challenged me, um, I said, okay, I'm going to do it, but I will, I will rock up and be obedient, but Lord, you bring the people, and, and he's been doing that. What, what we see here every week, what we see in our community is, is a miracle. And um, I just want to thank God and honor God and give him all the glory. So thank you. Thank you for being part of this family. I, I know for some of you, it's in a way you're like taking a chance. Um, maybe some of you are still not sure if you should tell other people that you go to this weird little new church. Um, I don't know. But what I do know is God is in this. And... It's a privilege to be part of it, and I hope you feel the same way. All right. So the scripture I read for the worship was for a very specific reason. We are going to come back to the story of Palm Sunday. But I, I had the most interesting experience as, as I was preparing for today. I felt God give me a story, and I want to share that story with you, and I want you to listen Intently, I want you to imagine you're at pre-primary school and the teacher is about to tell you a story. And you come and sit on the carpet and you're like, I want to hear the story. It's one of those moments. All right, story time. You ready for story time? All right. A long time ago, there was a young boy. He was a peasant in a kingdom ruled by a great king. This peasant boy knew about the king and saw the castle a far way off. He could see that it was a busy and successful place with lots of knights and messengers going around from in and out the castle. He was impressed by it and wondered what it could be like on the inside of the castle walls. What did they eat? How did they live? What kind of music was playing in the king's courts? What this peasant boy did not know that behind those castle walls, the king was on a daily mission. You see, the king had a son, but his son was taken from him. One night, while he was still a baby, and ever since, the king has not stopped looking and waiting on his boy. Each morning, he wakes up with an expectation that today is the day that his son will return safely. And every night, as he closes his eyes, he thinks of his son, and he hopes that he will come home soon. Back to the peasant boy in the streets. He's in the kingdom outside the walls. One day, the boy decided that he wanted to get a closer look at this magnificent castle and all the comings and goings of the knights and the messengers. So he made his way through the city streets and came closer and closer to the castle gate. He waited for a horse and cart to return through the gate back to the castle. And just at the right time, he rolled underneath the cart and grabbed hold of the bottom of the cart and just prayed that no one will see him. And then he snuck into the castle and he was sneaking past the guards and all kinds of people moving hastily about. He had his eye on the horse stables. He wanted to see the majestic pedigree, kingly horses that he has always admired from afar, up close and personal. He eventually made his way into the stables and there, was, there he was able to pause and see the pristine, clean stables and the perfectly groomed, purebred horses. Oh, he was in awe. Meanwhile, the peasant's boy's stepfather had noticed that he was gone and not busy doing the torturous chores he had given him to do. So he started tracking him, and he, he was, um, and he too was now inside the castle walls close to where the boy was. You see, part of the reason the boy was curious about the castle is that he, had, that he never felt truly at home with his stepdad. He had the strong sense that he belonged somewhere else doing something more significant with his life. He could do all the chores and do them well, but it never seemed to be good enough, and the next day he just had to do them all over again. He longed for something he couldn't explain. But he was drawn to the castle. He didn't know why exactly, but he he just had to go. The boy left the stables and made his way to the castle door of the nearest corridor that led to the king's courts. He stealthily snuck past more guards and finally stepped into the corridor. And he started down the corridor. As he was doing that, he heard voices in the distance. One voice in particular stood out from the rest. It has authority. It was authoritative and strong and clear, yet surprisingly gentle at the same time. But more than that, the voice sounded familiar to the boy. But he didn't know why. But he was drawn to it. He kept moving down the massive hallway toward the voice. But then he heard another voice. A stern, angry, whisper-shout came from behind. He flung around only to see his stepfather sneak up on him in in a silent but quick way. He froze in a second. What should he do? Then things got worse. A guard came around the corner and spotted both of them and said, Halt! Who goes there? He commanded. The boy flung around to the guard. His gaze was now desperately flinging back and forth from his stepdad to the guard. The the dad said, this worthless peasant of a boy escaped and came here without permission. I'm simply here to take him back to where he belongs. The guard looked at the boy's appearance. Him and his clothes were dirty. He smelled bad and he seemed to be malnourished and tired. Is this true, lad? The guard asked the boy. It's true, sir, the boy said defeatedly. You worthless little ingrate! come here right now and I'll take you back to your chores. There's a great punishment waiting for you when you get home. Just then, the strong, gentle voice came into the conversation. What seems to be the problem here? Asked the king. The guard brought the king up to speed. The boy stood absolutely mesmerized at the king. That voice, he knows it. He, he just knows it. The boy dropped to his knees before the king. Tears welled up in his eyes. The guard stepped in and crossed his spear in front of the boy in an effort to shield the king should the boy try something. The king put his hand on the guard's shoulder as if to say, it's okay. The guard looked at the king and immediately stepped aside. The king knelt down before the boy and said, what is wrong, son? The question And hearing the word son just broke the dam of emotions inside the boy. He started sobbing uncontrollably. Ah, pathetic, snarled the stepdad. Let's just get out of here, you absolute waste of space. Quiet, the king said to the stepdad. Immediately the stepdad stopped and shut up. The boy was amazed through his tears and turned to see the stepdad take a step back. In that moment, as the boy turned his head, the king noticed something on the boy's neck, a birthmark. The king asked the boy, may I see your neck? Of course, the boy answered. The king came even closer and pulled down the collar. Then he gasped loudly. Could it be? He exclaimed. He took the boy's face in his hands and looked at him deeply in his eyes. Is is this, could it be? I've been looking relentlessly all these years, but it must be you. Only you can have the royal birthmark, which is unique to my royal bloodline. My son, you are my son. You've been missing, but today you have returned. I love you, my son. And he hugged the boy and picked him up and started dancing and rejoicing. The stepdad said, "Uh, your majesty, that's my boy. You cannot just take him. He belongs to me. And, just how, and the king said, just how do you know this is your boy? The stepdad made up a story, but the king knew he was lying and confronted him. You stole him from his room, didn't you? He hesitated and suddenly looked for a gap to run away. But he was seized and put into custody. Even as they dragged him off, he shouted lies at the boy. You don't belong here. You're a worthless oxygen thief who is good for nothing but working like a slave. But as the boy kept looking into the eyes of the king and listening to his voice, the lies of the stepdad were drowned out. The boy put his head on the king's chest and closed his eyes. He was finally home where he belonged. Years later, the boy, who was now a prince, had been trained in the ways of his father's kingdom. One day, his father came to him and said, I rule this land, and as my son, you get to rule with me. There are many people in our kingdom, and a great deal of them do not know the way of our kingdom yet. I need you to go with a battalion of knights and messengers and reach out to the villages on this map, showing him the map. Go and spend time with them, teaching them about what I want for them, And for this kingdom. Help them to see how we do things. And how I see them. And how they can contribute to the expansion of the kingdom. Because you are my son. I will be with you in spirit always. Now go. I'm sure you by now are picking up what I'm putting down. But I hope this story helped you to understand your own salvation better, and also the call on your life. I want to remind you of the series scripture that we've been busy with, Matthew 28, from verse 18 to 20. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus said four main things. Go to the nations. That is reaching others. Make disciples of them. Baptize them. And teach them what I've commanded you. The message title for today is Reach Others, Teach Others. Reach Others, Teach Others. That is what we've been called to do. Jesus told his disciples to go and make other disciples. He wanted them to multiply what he had put in them, what he had invested in them. In order to do that, they needed to reach others in order to share who Jesus was and what he had done. This will lead the people they reach to a place of repentance and salvation. Do you understand that? So before we teach people what Jesus taught, we need to first introduce them to Jesus. Okay? Then we baptize them when they get saved, and then we teach them what Jesus had commanded. You cannot teach them if you haven't first reached them. And how do we reach them? I've got six ideas here of how we can practically reach people. Number one, love. This is an obvious one, but it's probably the most difficult one. Do we really love other people? Enough that we will tell them the good news about Jesus. And then we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe it's good news? Secondly, prayer. Prayer is powerful. If you know someone that you know needs to meet Jesus, pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to them. That by the time you speak to them, there's already groundwork laying in the Spirit. Thirdly, relationship. We need to build relationship with people. Some people, you'll have a moment and it's going to be short and sweet and to the point and they get saved. But for most people, there's a a need of relationship that needs to happen. Fourthly, Your personal testimony is probably your most powerful tool in reaching others. Because when you tell your testimony, you tell who Jesus is to you and what he had done for you. All right? And no one can argue with your testimony. It's amazing. You can tell them a scripture and they can say, they can have all kinds of stuff about, yeah, the Bible this and the Bible that. But then you go, let me tell you my story. Your testimony is powerful. And the fifth one, and this is one where I think many Christians fall short, and because of this, they feel insecure when speaking to others. We need to be solid on our scriptural foundations. When Jesus was tempted, he said, it is written. That means he knew the word of God. When we speak to others, you don't have to know the whole Bible from back to front, but you need to at least know the most important things about who Jesus is, what he came to do why he is your hope and why you love him. And and the sixth one is follow through. We need to actually love people enough to keep loving them and reaching them with the good news of Jesus Christ. Some people are harder nuts to crack than others. (laughs) And it takes a bit longer. We need follow through. I remember when I was, um, I think, a second or third year at Varsity, there were these two girls in my class, and the one I got to know quite well, we had coffee often, and my mission was to get her saved, because I knew that she didn't know Jesus. And once we were chatting, and I was trying to get to the conversation in that direction, I remember her looking at me going, listen, if this friendship is just about you getting me saved, then this friendship is over. I was like, what? She's like... I don't want to just be another notch on your I got people saved belt because that's not a real friendship. That's not a real relationship. So just as a side note, people, especially unbelievers in the world, will know when you are trying to be manipulative instead of building a real relationship. Okay. So when you reach out to unbelievers, some of whom will be cultural Christians, we spoke about that at length two weeks ago, you need to know that they are like the boy in the story that I just told you. They are blinded by the lies of the devil. When people believe a lie, they don't know they believe a lie. Otherwise, they wouldn't believe it because they will know it's a lie. Do you understand that? So we need to lovingly present the truth to them to replace the lie. Okay? Okay. All of us were, in a way, because of the fall of man, we were stolen from God. We were stolen by sin. But everyone, every human being on this planet, deep down knows that they need, there is something else. Deep down, they have that God-shaped hole. They have that thing that's yearning inside of them. Do you agree? Amen. And we need to help them to discover that. They know that deep down what they are experiencing cannot be all of it, but they keep numbing their spirit with lies and drowning their spirit's yearning for the truth. They will keep doing that. Until one day, when they meet this annoying and persistent love key church person who reaches them with love, prayer, relationship, and tells them their personal testimony. And they know the word of God and they are relentless in following through until that day. Then everything changes. Amen, church? (laughs) Now, once they've been reached and they make a decision for Christ, you can encourage them to be baptized and explain to them what that means and why it's necessary. And once they are baptized, you invite them to church, if you haven't already. And you make sure that they join a connect group. This gets very awkward when you are not part of a connect group. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Once they are baptized... Sorry, I said that already. Um, Okay, now let us look at Paul's version of the great commission to Timothy. So in 2 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 4, Paul is speaking to Timothy. He says, you therefore, my son... he's He's seeing himself as his spiritual father... Be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things that you have heard from me, your spiritual dad, teaching you, discipling you, um, you need to, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these, the things I've taught you, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we've got Paul teaching Timothy. Timothy teaching faithful men, faithful men teaching others. You see that? And then it goes on to say, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Gee, thanks, Paul. Can you imagine being Timothy reading this? He's like, thanks for the instruction, but I don't like that second part. (laughs) No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. This is real. We need to be aware of the fact that when we do this, it will come against everything in you that wants what the flesh wants. It will come against your comfort, your convenience, all those things. Now, we know, if, well, hopefully you know, that from the book of Acts, before Saul became Paul, he was persecuting Christians and then Jesus himself reached out to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul had an encounter with Jesus and he became born again and started following Christ in his ways. Now he's a disciple of Jesus. He taught Timothy how to lead and how to teach others. And then he instructs Timothy to commit what he had heard from Paul to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We see these four generations, uh, in the notes I wrote three, it's four, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others, four generations, or four layers of leaders, actually, disciples. Now, I want you to note: if you look at this, Christianity in its right form is actually the ultimate version of paying it forward. You guys know that movie, Pay It Forward?, the principle of paying it forward. Someone gave you something that blessed you and helped you. Now when you're at a certain place, you pay it forward. You give what you've received to the next one. That's what Christianity is in a way. Maybe it's a bit oversimplified, but it's, that's the point. We pay forward what Jesus did for us. What Jesus did for me on the cross, saving me from eternal death, the wages of sin, others need to be reached so that they can hear it and also be set free. Let us all choose today to say, I will pay it forward. What Jesus did for me, I will pay it forward. And it's interesting if we think of this phrase, paying it forward, because there will be a cost. Paying means there's a cost. and But that's the only way we can really lead others. And that is what Jesus has called us to do. Okay, now that all of that brings me to... The fact that today is called Palm Sunday. Most of the Bibles refer the heading in the scripture piece says triumphal entry. On the church calendar, it's called Palm Sunday. Why? I think it's because leafy tree Sunday or tree branch Sunday didn't sound so good. It's a little Bible humor. Okay, I thought it would land better. I was actually reading the Gospels, and I I thought, why is it called Palm Sunday? And I saw, okay, in one of them, it talks about palm tree branches. So that's how they got it. The other says leafy tree or just branches. Anyway, so Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is referred to as a triumphal entry because for a brief moment, and after what happened with them, when he raised Lazarus, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and now there's this crowd following him all the way from Jericho. There's this, it speaks in all these gospels about a very great magnitude of people. I did some research. I wanted to know how many people is a great magnitude according to the Bible. I couldn't get a number. But let's say it's when, like people when, he, when Jesus fed the 5,000. Let's say it's at least, the, and that said 5,000 men. So it's 5,000 men who, let's say, half of them had wives. So that's 12,500 people. Let's say all of them had two children. It gets to a lot of people. So math is on a strong point. The point is, I want you to imagine at least 10,000 people walking behind and in front of Jesus in this scene. Okay? They are praising and worshipping the long-awaited Messiah, the King of the Jews. And therefore... They were praising him and worshiping him. Now, there are many things we can point out from the four different accounts of the event in the Gospels. All four of the Gospels talk about this event. This is not true for every event in the New, King, in the New, um, New Testament. They all, all four of them tell the story. Interesting facts that I will tell you is in Luke's version, it's the longest. John's version is the shortest. And Mark spends an uncharacteristically long time on this. Why I'm saying that? Because Mark doesn't even talk about Jesus' birth. Interestingly enough. Okay, Matthew says they brought two donkeys. I read that before the worship. They talked about they brought the colt and the donkey. And they, it actually, when you read the context, it says they brought both donkeys and put Jesus on both of them. I'm like, I want to see that happen. So it's, yeah, maybe it's just a translation thing. And when they mentioned the very great multitude, they were walking in front and, and behind him. Okay, that's just interesting things. But I want to focus on one thing. As we think of Palm Sunday, and as we're doing a series called Helping Others, although we are talking about how do we help others, and today specifically, how do I reach others, and how do I teach others the ways of Jesus, I want to draw our attention to this one aspect of the triumphal entry story. And I think it's important for us to learn from this in our Christian lives. I've got all four of them. I want to show show them the slide with all four versions next to each other. (laughs) Look at that. I wanted to read them right next to each other to get an idea of where they differ and where they are the same. But don't worry, I won't make you read that right now. But I do want to quickly go through the different accounts and just so you can get an idea of what's happening here. I'm going to lay put a bit of an emphasis on certain words because that's the stuff I want you to hear Matthew 21 we read it uh, before the worship Um, I'm going to skip to the part where it says Jesus tells two disciples go into the village and you will find a donkey and loosen it and bring it to me and then he says if anyone says anything to you you shall say the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion. Now, according to my research, the daughter of Zion is Jerusalem or Israel, the people of Israel. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. All right, Mark 11. From verse 1, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village opposite and as soon as you've entered it, you will find a colt, Loose it, bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the streets and they loosened it. But some of those who stood around them said, what are you doing losing the colt? Interesting that Mark doesn't talk about the owner, just people standing around randomly. <laughs> anyway, so they spoke to them, and just as Jesus had commanded, they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. Okay, Luke 19. I'm going to skip down again. He says, go to the two disciples, go into the village, loose the donkey, um, because of the Lord has need of it. So they did it, it happened again, same thing. John 12, verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. Okay, so how many of you remember your IQ tests? What does not fit I almost want to say, gee, John, thanks for breaking the nice pattern that was beginning to emerge. John does not mention that two disciples went to fetch the donkey. But he does note something important about the disciples' understanding at the time of these happenings. All right, so I wanted to give you an idea of the four Gospels telling the story. And I'm getting to a point, I promise. So I want to point out the following. Jesus gave a direct instruction. He didn't say please, he didn't give them an option, he commanded them, go and fetch a donkey. It is an order, and the Bible actually refers back to it and says they were commanded, okay? Secondly, he gave detail of a potential problem they could come across. After all, the Son of God, we know, is without sin, and theft is a sin, So if he was just going to steal it, it would be kind of weird, right? But they obey. They obey. They do not question. They do not refuse. They humbly obey. And it is a bit of a weird instruction, right? How many of you think they had that scripture of fulfilling this in their mind at the time? I'm pretty sure they weren't. They just came walking down. Jesus said, go in there, get the calls. And then they get there and they, they lose the donkey and they are questioned, just as Jesus foreknew. And the answer he gave them to give also doesn't make sense, no? His answer worked, sorry. <laughs> the answer he gave them worked. But this whole situation doesn't really make sense. I want you to go this week and, and take someone's animal. And when they ask you, what are you doing? I want you to say, The Lord has need of it. And then see what they do. It's weird, right? We read this now, looking back. They were in that moment. Jesus says, go and get a donkey. Just loosen it. The first one you see there, when you bring it, someone will ask you probably, what are you doing? You say to them, the Lord has need of it, and they will let it go. That was Jesus' transaction to make it not theft. <laughs> okay? Now, we need to know, and the, the f- first thing I, I notice is we need to remember that the earth and all, in, all, of, all of the earth and everything in it belongs to God. Jesus knew this donkey belongs to me. Even though it's someone else's donkey, when I say the words, the Lord has need of it, they will come. So, What is the fruit of the disciples' obedience? Number one, Scripture is fulfilled. Number two, there was a start of a joyous celebration of Jesus. The donkey and him riding on the donkey was a catalyst for an amazing moment of praising Jesus. And it was the start of the last week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. The fulfillment of his life mission. Now, I want you to think again of John not following the pattern of the other Gospels, but pointing out that they didn't understand these things when they were happening. The disciples didn't know what they were doing, but they obeyed. Why? Because Jesus said so. Didn't understand why, didn't know it was going to happen. Let us look again now, after we've read this the Great Commission. Jesus says, go, make disciples. What did he say to the two? Go, fetch a donkey. Baptize them. Teach them to observe my commandments. All right. The two who were sent to go get the donkey were being trained. Can you see that? We all have to ask ourselves the question now, will I be faithful in seemingly smaller tasks So that I can be put in charge of a bigger task like spreading the gospel. If the two weren't going to listen to go fetch a donkey, they wouldn't listen if Jesus said go and reach the nations. Will you obey me when it doesn't make sense? Will you obey me when it seems irrational, illogical? Will you obey me when it might offend someone? Will you, be, will you be willing to come out of your comfort zone and face probable ridicule and persecution? Are you willing to do that for me? If they weren't willing to get a donkey from just a few people who might judge them and ridicule them, they wouldn't be willing to spread the gospel with absolute conviction. If you can take a donkey and face the potential embarrassment and do what Jesus told you to do in that instance instance, and you see it work, you see that what he said is actually true, then you have a testimony. You have confidence. Okay, so what Jesus says will happen. What Jesus says works. So it was also them building up their confidence, their testimony in Jesus. Do you notice that? All right, so we also need to take note of the following. In order for us to be obedient and reach the unreached, we need to obey the first part, go. What does go mean? When someone says to you, go, vamonos, move, it involves faith-filled, prayer-driven action. And some kind of movement. If you are here and, and someone says, go, and you stay here, you are not going. Do you agree? All right. You are laughing, but that's what the average Christian is doing. Jesus said, go, and we go. Oh, that's nice. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. I will go. I will go. I will pray. Hallelujah, glory. But you're still here. You have gone nowhere. What are you doing? And then you tell other people, I'm so obedient. No, you're not. How many of you, if you are really honest with yourself, when you read the Great Commission, you think, ooh, this is for the fivefold ministry. Pastors, Prophets, evangelists, especially evangelists, right? Teachers. How many of you think that? I have news for you. It's for every believer. Because every believer is a disciple. And every disciple has been called. Your specific place of where you need to go, and, how, and who you need to reach, and who you need to teach, Will differ, yes, from mine. Absolutely. But you have to go. So this first one is very important. Go means movement. (laughs) Action. All right? In order to tell them who Jesus is, you actually need to know who he is. Amazing. Have you ever tried to tell someone about a person that you don't know? (laughs) You remember that time? (laughs) I want to tell you about this guy I don't know. What are you going to do? You, you, won't, you will have minimal facts. You'll probably be wrong. To tell them who Jesus is and what he did, you have to actually know him and know what he has done. All right? In the third place, you need to be keen to and able to baptize people. He says, go, make disciple disciples, baptize them. And teach them. You can say, so some of you will baptize some of the people. No. And I want you to know that there's no qualification needed other than you are saved, you love Jesus, and you want to reach people for his kingdom. And when you have, you baptize them. I will teach you how and tell you what to say. Absolutely, I'll do that. It's part of my job. But I want you to know that you can baptize people, all right? And in the fourth place, you need to know what Jesus commanded in order to teach others and keep them accountable in the observances of these commandments. Jesus says, teach them to observe what I've commanded you. What did Jesus command them? Go and read Matthew 5, 6, and the first part of 7. The Beatitudes. Go read the Ten Commandments. Jesus said that loving God and loving people is a summary of all the, the law and the prophets. And then he, then he took the law and he made it even more difficult. He said that, you know that Moses said, you shall not commit murder. I tell you, if you hate someone in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. He took the bar up, not down. But you need to know this and you need to be living that so that you can teach others. Now, here's a bit of hard truth. I'm going to say something I like. Craig Richel, who I listen to a lot, he says this. I'm going to get up on your business. I'm going to get up on your personal business. If we do not do this, we are willfully only seeing it as the great suggestion. And we are not faithful stewards of what Jesus has called us to do. There's no way around that. If you heard, go, and you are... Staying, you are disobedient. I know that's harsh. We this week we are in in the sons of God group. We are doing a book called Multiply, and speaks of the stewards in the parable of the talents, in how the one got five, the one got two, and the one got one, and that the only requis- prerequisite that God has. For what he has given is that what you've been given will be multiplied. The direct definition of being faithful is multiplying what you've been given. Multiplying what you've been given. If we we are not faithful what God has given us, which is a command to go, we cannot multiply. People of the world is lost. How many of you know that? And many cultural Christians are lost with them, and they don't know it. Do you know that the stats in our nation show that 84% of people are Christian? 84. 84% if you ask them, yes, I'm a Christian. If that's true, we have a serious problem. Because this nation does not look like a Christian nation. What is the problem? I believe one of the big problems is that people have a misconception of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it starts with true repentance, true salvation, and with being obedient to the word of God. If you are born again, you are dead to yourself, and you, your old sinful nature. So you cannot really be embarrassed, or uncomfortable, or inconvenienced. Good news, right? Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you are really saved, you are dead. You have died. So, you cannot be embarrassed. You cannot be uncomfortable. And you cannot be inconvenienced. If you are, then a part of you has not died yet to Christ. Do you you understand that? If you speak to someone about Jesus, and you're like, Yeah, you know... um, Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you. and It looks like you don't even believe it. And this is not a personality thing. Because your personality also died with Jesus. It's still an important factor, but it's not the only factor. I'm not saying all the introverts. <laughs> I'm not judging you. I'm saying that when the Holy Spirit is in you, he will bring the words. He will bring the conviction. He will bring the power when you speak about Jesus. It's like a lot of performers I know, performers I know, off stage they're this quiet, you know, uh, like this. But when they get on stage, like ah, come on, I own this place, there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's almost the same way. Yeah, you know. Be an introvert in your normal day to day, but when you talk about the things of the kingdom there's an authority that comes over you. Amen? And people can sense that. You can speak quietly, but with authority, when the Holy Spirit is upon you, and you share with someone. Come on, people. When you do feel those things, like I said, it's just your body and soul trying to get out of it. Let the Spirit of God lead your spirit to do what you've been called to do. Amen? Amen? Does that make sense? All right. Let us stand and let us reflect and respond about this word, baby donkey. Please rise and let us focus on Jesus. I'm actually really surprised that it's only 10 past 11, but I'm grateful. I know some of you are grateful. Everyone with lunch plans. Okay. Let's take this last few minutes and just be serious about Jesus. Jesus. If, if you are standing here today and you say, yes, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, let us take a serious pause and, and say, okay, what does that mean? And what does that look like in my life on a daily basis? Do people notice that I'm different because I love Jesus? When I speak, does what's coming out of my mouth line up with the word of God? Or does it line up with the world? Does the way I speak to people, love people, does it line up with the word? Do they feel the love of God when I speak? And do I wake up not just to do a job and earn a salary, But do I wake up to serve the kingdom of God and to do everything I do as if unto the Lord? And do I get excited about the opportunity today to maybe speak to at least one person about Jesus? Reaching out to tell them who Jesus is, what He has done, so I can lead them to Christ, baptize them, and then teach them them what Jesus commanded. That is the ultimate version of paying it forward. That's the ultimate version of helping others. Introducing them to their savior. Amen. So please let's close our eyes. Let's extend our faith. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to come and do a work in each and every one of us. Holy Spirit we know that you are here and we know that each one of us that have given our lives to you, we are a temple of you. We get to host the Holy Ghost. Thank you. Holy Spirit, right now, I ask that you will come and do a work inside of all of us. I pray that you will come and bring conviction in whatever way whatever area of our lives we are not being obedient to the great commission to the call that you've put on our lives and I want to ask that you will come and empower us help us to understand what it means to truly be dead to ourself to our flesh to our selfish desires and to just have to be single-mindedly focused on bringing the kingdom wherever we go. Help us to understand that it's, the Great Commission is not just for the fivefold ministry, because the fivefold is there to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is what you've called us to do. So Lord, as, as the pastor here today, I just want to equip everyone here with the ability to reach out to others in order to teach others what you've taught us. With everybody's eyes closed, just focusing on Jesus, if you're here today and you realize, man, I have, I have not moved, I have not gone where Jesus has told me to go, and you just have that sense of like, shock, man. I love Jesus. can do more I can be more faithful maybe even realize man I've been disobedient if that's you today just raise up your hand in a way to say I repent of this I'm going to change it thank you Jesus thank you for those hands thank you for those hands thank you Father thank you Father thank you Father Father. alright it's not to make us feel condemned or bad it's to move us to live out what we've been called to do. If there's anyone here today that has not given their life to Jesus, or that maybe realized, man, I thought I was a Christian, I thought I was born again, but I realize I need to be born again, I need to be baptized. If that's you, just put up your hand as well. Anyone that needs to come to Christ today. All right. Anyone online, let us know. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let us pray, let us all pray this together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We want to be obedient to what you've called us to do. Holy Spirit, empower us, strengthen us to fulfill the great commission. We repent for whatever way, We have not fulfilled it, and today we choose to fulfill the Great Commission, where you've placed us, with the people you've given us to reach and to teach. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thank you, church. We love you. We appreciate you. Please stick around for some coffee and fellowship. Remember next weekend, Good Friday service, 9.30 here. Bring family and friends. Set up team. Let us know who's available. And Sunday morning, we've got Resurrection Sunday service. Remember please to get tickets for the Real Conference for Men and the Marriage Seminar. We love you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Bye.